just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. It's just one part of our service at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. Uh, you can be part of the whole thing by dropping us an email, or you can come and be with us in person at Chelsea on Sunday mornings at 11. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to read the first uh, 13 verses. And uh, over the next several weeks, I really have a sense of what the Lord is doing. He's trying to build up now Chelsea Community Church. You know, we've set some foundations over the last year. Uh, God's done a lot of amazing things. And now it's time to bulk up a little bit, build up a bit. And that's really the goal between now and Pentecost Sunday, which is the last Sunday of May. And we've got several different people that are going to be preaching over the next few weeks and a lot of different things happening. Uh, but all of it is around uh, seeing how the Lord is going to continue to grow Chelsea Community Church. Uh, so sermon today is, again, from Ephesians chapter 3. We'll pick up for, from verse 1. And Paul has just been talking about how the Jews and the Gentiles are coming together in Jesus Christ to become one new man, one new human being. And then he continues to talk to the church. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I want to tell you a story. Hopefully it won't be like a bedtime story where you all fall asleep, but uh, it's got some similarities. So uh, once upon a time, that's how all stories begin, right? Once upon a time, a woman awakened on a street in the major city of a kingdom. She was dressed in tattered clothes and had no memory of who she was. As she wandered the streets in confusion, some men had their way with her. Others refused to help her, despising her looks and 
ragged condition. Some would put her to work for them, building their businesses, cleaning their homes, caring for their children, but never even paying her a fair wage or showing her respect. She was put up in a ramshackle room with moldy walls and cold water. Her life was filled with difficulty, but the people of the city had no compassion on her. They would simply walk past her, ignoring her or scorning her and going about their business. Although she could not remember who she was, she always sensed that there was something more, that there must be more. She would often cry herself to sleep in her misery, dreaming of a king and a great feast. It seemed so real. One day, the king of the kingdom was riding through the city on his mighty steed, accompanied by his finest soldiers. As he rode through the city, he saw the woman who was sitting in the same place where she had awakened. He leapt from his horse and ran to the woman. He lifted her up and embraced her. My bride, my love, I have found you again. Why did you run away? How did you become lost? Why did you not come home? Immediately, the woman's memory returned. She was the king's betrothed. He placed his royal robe on her and lifted her onto his horse. She told him of her life in the city. Immediately, the king unsheathed his sword. He beheaded those men who had abused his bride. He slaughtered those who had misused her. He imprisoned all those who had mistreated her. And he issued a royal decree that all citizens of the kingdom who had failed to recognize her would pay a great price of half their wealth. For he had published far and wide that he had been looking for his bride, providing a description that all might recognize her. So there was no excuse. As for the bride, she returned he returned her to the castle where she was prepared in royal splendor. She dressed in battle armor with a sword at her side and mounted her mighty stallion to ride out with her king to conquer worlds. I kind of like that story. Don't know about you. God surprised me with this story. Uh, this is an original story. Uh, so I think he'd say, let those with ears to hear listen to what he is saying. Because we are living through a tremendous time in history. We are living through a tremendous time in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. And I think the Lord is using us here at Chelsea for his purposes and I think the Lord has things for us here at Chelsea that we don't yet understand. And I think that there is a future that is here and is coming that is vastly different than anything that we can anticipate. And so through this passage, and I feel like the Lord is speaking several things. The first thing I think the Lord is saying to us is forget everything you think you know about church. 
it's probably wrong. Forget everything you think you know about church. You must abandon your preconceptions and your conceptions about church. And stop listening to all the things you've heard. You know, the church is not a hospital. The church is not a school. The church is not a social service organization. The church is not an option for anyone who is a Christian. The church is not the support for frontline mission. The church is the vanguard of God's frontline mission in the world. Globally, though, churches are very sick. And it's true around the world right now. Western individualism has infected churches so that people are looking out for themselves, thinking it's about them. Western consumerism has infected churches so that people go to a church because it meets their felt needs. It seems to meet the, the money, you know, they pay in the money expecting to get a service. And if they don't like the product, then they just shift and embrace another product, maybe one that's bigger or better. Western entertainment has infected churches. And this is globally. You know, you look at so many churches now and the way that they set up their stage, the way they broadcast themselves, it's more like a production than it is a service of worship to the Lord. One major music publisher, I shall not mention its name, has just advertised a training by a person who is part of a very, very large church in the United States to say, this is how you too can set up your lights and your smoke machines and all of that to bring in the Holy Spirit. That's Western entertainment. It's not biblical Christianity. Western worldliness has infected churches. You see it in leaders. How many leaders are falling away? How many leaders have committed sins and, and are in it for the money, for the profit, for the gain? Western business and business models has infected, has infected churches. So many churches are set up more like a corporation than they are like the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean to sound angry, because I'm not angry. It's just the reality. You know, it's one of the things, here, and this is so important to get this. You don't berate a sick person for being sick. Right? You don't go to a sick person and say, you terrible person, you're sick. You don't berate a person, maybe because they stayed out too late and they caught a cold or something like that, you know, well, you can't if you're a mom or dad, right? Well, I told you not to do that. But besides that, you don't do that. And we must not berate other churches because they're sick. To say that churches are sick globally is not to pass condemnation on anybody because in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So please understand that. When we say that, it's not a judgment. It's just expressing what's happened so that we can understand. Because many times the path to health is knowing why you got sick in the first place. That's why they're doing a COVID inquiry that's going to take probably until the next three pandemics pass before it's finished. But uh, you do that so you understand how to do it better. So just, that's a nice sideline. Side 
Yeah, another dynamic is that weak ecclesiology has prevailed for more than two centuries, if not longer. Uh, ecclesiology is the study of the church. And when you look around the world at what people have been saying about the church, there's very few people that get it right. And a lot of people who have not because they don't have an understanding. They have a very weak ecclesiology where they grow a church and then they go looking for the Bible and say, oh, this is must, why must we must have grown because this seems kind of biblical. And weak, weak ecclesiology is all around us. By the way, that ecclesia, that's the Greek word for church. That's why it's ecclesiology. And uh, in ancient Greek, the ecclesia was uh, the assembly of the competent citizens of a city to exercise their corporate authority in accordance with the city's constitution. That's what an ecclesia was in ancient Greek. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. And, and, and again, I don't want to pick on anybody. But, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, it comes from two words uh, meaning called out. You know, so I've heard a lot of people, oh, well, we're the called out ones. And, uh, and, and to give you a flavor of what that's like, let's take a, let's take a couple of words. Let, let's take uh, understanding. Understanding. Uh, uh, so if, uh, okay, Elsie and I, we have an understanding because I'm standing under these lights, right? Isn't that what understanding means? You stand under something. And if Elsie made a statement to me right now, she would make an understatement, right? Because she's under me. And if I made a statement to Elsie, it would be an overstatement. Now we've mastered the English language. You know, so all of you who have English as a second language, now you know how to understand English. And that's what people have done with Greek. I mean, people have been doing that, especially in the last several decades. Uh, you've got a lot of people who don't know Greek, who've never studied Greek, who give you an under, try to give you an understanding of Greek. And it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Now, by the way, Jesus picked that word, uh, ecclesia, to, and he knew the Greek meaning of that word. And so for us, the church is the assembly of the citizens of God's kingdom to worship God and exercise our corporate authority and corporate functions in according with, accordance with the Bible as God's word. That's what we're all about. We're a gathering of the citizens of God's kingdom to do something corporately that we cannot do by ourselves. And that's the reality of who we are. Few leaders, and I've, I've listened to a lot of them, few leaders, I believe, understand what the church really is. And I don't really blame them. Again, I'm, it's not about blame. It's not about accusation. It's simply because a lot of people have been trained and grown up in a certain system, and it tends to be like an echo chamber. And YouTube has made that worse. So you get a popular speaker on YouTube, they say something, oh, that sounds good, it sounds witty, it's kind of entertaining. So it's repeated by 150 other popular speakers. And, and that's how these things go around. But churches have really ceded their authority in this world to civil government. And God's going to have us take it back, by the way. You know, we let the government take care of the poor. 
We let the government take care of the sick. We let the government take care of the mental health issues. But actually, the Lord wants the church to be doing that. Nothing against the government. No, I love the NHS. Everybody works for the NHS, obviously. But I think you understand the meaning, what I mean. And we need to forget what we have seen and experienced regarding the church. I mean, we've all had really terrible experiences, right? I mean, I've been hurt by Christians much more than non-Christians could ever hurt me. And there have been times I've gone through suffering at the hands of Christians where I'm like, Jesus, could you just crucify me and get it over? Now, I understand that. I understand that church has let us down, that leaders have let us down. I've been wounded by Christian leaders. You know, I've seen all the worst stuff and I've had glimpses of some of the best stuff. And frankly, if you go by your past experience into the future that God has, you'll miss it. You will miss it. We are going through one of the biggest shifts in the reality of the church in history. Something certainly that anyone can remember. No one can remember this or has experienced it. Let me try to say that again. Let me read what I wrote. Certainly nothing anyone can remember or has experienced. We can have glimpses of it in our experiences, but frankly, we have a lot more false narratives in our experiences than we have glimpses of the reality of what's coming. Now, if you want to understand a little bit of it, I believe we can see it if you see the whole historic flow of church history. And I'll try to encapsulate that briefly. When Jesus was walking the earth in those early days, in the early days of the church, the dominant metaphor, biblical metaphor for the church was the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And that was the dominant metaphor. Why? Remember what John the Baptist said. You know, uh, you can't, you can't fast when the, the bride, or Jesus said, you can't fast when the bridegroom's in their midst. And John said, I'm not, I'm, not the, I'm not the groom. I'm just the one who points to the groom. Paul said, I betrothed you to one Lord. Now, so it was the bride of Christ. And then fairly early on in church history, another metaphor became dominant. All these metaphors are true all the time. But another metaphor came dominant, and that was the church as the body of Christ. Everybody's a minister. Everybody serves. Everybody's empowered because we are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around us. And then after Constantine's conversion in the 300s, which I believe was in God's purpose, by the way. Uh, Some people say, no, it kind of deflected the church, but it was in God's purpose. After Constantine, after a couple hundred years, the building, the church as a building, became dominant. And the church as a building remained the dominant metaphor all the way up into the 1500s or so. And then you had Martin Luther and some other guys. It's not just Luther. There were a lot of people over a lot of years. I'm making very light history here. Uh, They began to discover what's called the priesthood of all believers. And they began to say, hey, there's more than this. But still, 
the building idea. I mean, that's why we all think of a church. When you say church, first thing that usually comes to your mind is the building. Because buildings were important. They were not unimportant. Buildings are a statement of permanence. That's why they're here. And that's why God's used them. Because when you see a building, you say, okay, this church is there. It's been there. It's going to be there. I can, I can have some trust in that. You know, so the building remained the dominant metaphor, but God was shifting that up in the 1700s and 1800s. He had some major revivals, awakenings, outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that stirred up in, the, in the, 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 oh, the Azusa Street revival in the early 1900s and the, and the outpouring in Wales. And people started having gifts of the Holy Spirit. And God started stirring in the hearts of people. And something began to happen. And then back in the, 50, uh, the 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, different writers began to say, hey, we're the body of Christ. And the body started to become the dominant metaphor again. And really, for a lot of the last 60, 70 years, the body has been in ascendancy as a metaphor of this is what the church is. It's not about the building. That's why we can be in a storefront. That's why we can meet everywhere. And so the body has taken ascendancy, but that is now changing. It's been changing for a number of years, but it's changing with seriousness right now. And God is restoring the concept of the church as the bride of Christ, as the dominant metaphor. And that, that metaphor changes your perception. It will change our understanding of who we are. That's why don't rely on what you know about church and what you've done in church and how you've connected to church in the past because it's going to change. And it's changing significantly. In order to go along with that change, we need to have some understanding and that's where this passage comes in of what God is doing and what God has already in, always intended to do. What God is doing is not changed a bit. It's all part of his plan. It's all part of his purpose. You know, God, when the day of Pentecost came, even before the day of Pentecost, he knew how everything's going to be unfolding. This is not a surprise to him, okay? He planned all of this, the transitions and things like that. But we need to understand why. And the why is in this phrase that's there in the middle of the passage we read. And the phrase is this, so that through the church, through the church reveals God's plan and purpose for his mission to the world through Jesus Christ in this time. So that through the church, God might accomplish his purposes in the world so that through the church God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done so that through the church the church would be an embodiment of the new kingdom that's coming a visible representation of who the bride of Christ is supposed to be not in her perfection yet because that won't happen until Jesus Christ comes again through the church every leader like Paul like myself, every leader has a stewardship of God's grace for the church. 
Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, they've all been given a stewardship of God's grace, and it's for the purpose of building up the church. Our grace is not to make money. Our grace is for the purpose of building up the church, the people of God, together in the, as the bride of Christ. And we learn here that the church is the mystery of Christ. And then quite frankly, all you have to do is look around. What a motley group of people we are, right? What a motley group of people. And God brings us together. We're either the mystery of Christ or Christ stand-up comedian act, you know? The mystery of Christ or the, the hilarity of Christ. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe a little bit of both. But the church is the mystery of Christ. The mystery of how we Jews and Gentiles, people of all ethnicities, are now fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Your skin tone doesn't matter. The language you speak doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. Which side of the equator you was born on doesn't matter because we've all been brought together in Christ as this profound mystery. We are now fellow heirs with Christ and our new reality takes precedent over every other reality in our lives. Our new ethnicity takes precedent over every other ethnicity in our lives. This is the mystery of Christ. We are members of the same body, the body of Christ. We share in the same promise in Jesus through the gospel. And the church is the revelation of God. The church is a revelation of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, how it's found in the church. The church, we, are the revelation of the mysterious plan of the Creator. It's just like with Jesus. Satan thought he'd won when he got Jesus crucified. But he didn't realize, no, that's the very moment that he lost. And Satan thinks he wins when, you know, the church just seems to be this group of people coming together and is so sick in the world today and seems so broken in so many places. And it looks bad, but hey, God's in, the, on, in control. He's on the throne. And I know how it turns out because the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us. And we are the revelation of the manifold wisdom of God. In us, we're the embodiment of it. The manifold wisdom of God. What's that wisdom? Well, in part, it's that God sends apostles and prophets, some of whom are persecuted and killed. That'd be Luke chapter 11. And then from, uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians 1, the manifold wisdom of God would include that the world does not know God through worldly wisdom. You know, Buddha couldn't have come. And th Buddha, neither Buddha nor Muhammad could have thought this up. Neither of them would have thought this up. That God uses the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. How many ever think of how silly it is? Yeah, follow a guy who was crucified. That uh, Christ crucified is actually the power of God and the wisdom of God in that weakest moment. It's a demonstration of God's power. That God chose us who were neither wise nor powerful nor of noble birth to be part of his revelation, the revelation of the wisdom of God. 
of the wisdom of God. That God chose, in the words of Paul, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's his wisdom. And Jesus Christ is wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption for us who believe. This is part of the manifold wisdom of God. And we are the revelation. We are the declaration. As the body of Christ, as the people of God, as the building of God, as the, as the bride of Christ. We are that declaration. And we're that declaration to first and foremost, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. These are demonic beings that exist around us that are governing the nations, that are controlling the nations. They're mighty demonic forces that are steering the flow of history, or at least they think they are. And our existence is a declaration to those principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, you don't win. Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the dead. And God's kingdom will come and God's will will be done on this earth, even as it's done in the heavenly places. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. We are the bride of Christ. And we're seated on the mighty steed next to our Lord and Savior, and our husband with our sword strapped on our side, ready to ride out in battle. That's who we are, spiritual beings in the heavenly places. And we're that declaration as well to the societies and the cultures in our world that they're influencing. Xi Jinping thinks he has it, but he doesn't. Kim Jong-un thinks he has it, but he doesn't. Vladimir Putin thinks he has it, but he doesn't. Jesus does, and Jesus is in control, and we are this declaration to all people. So as part of the church, we share in God's eternal purpose in the bride of Christ. Right now, you, you, wherever you are, are part of God's eternal purpose. And maybe God's connected you with this church. Maybe God's going to connect you to another. You need to be part of it. Because if you're not connected, you're not going to walk out the fulfillment of your part in God's eternal purpose. You might think, well, I'm not that important. Well, God chose the weak of the things of the world to shame the strong. You might think, well, I'm not that intelligent. Well, you know, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of a lowly this, that, or the other thing. Well, you know, God didn't pick people of noble birth. He picked you because you're the one he wanted. You're the one he wanted. So as part of the church, we share in God's eternal purpose, and we can do that in a number of ways. We build up the church. Every one of us has a role to build up the gathering of believers, the ecclesia, and that includes leaders. There's no apostle that's not an apostle for the church. There's no prophet that's not a prophet for the church. No evangelist that's not an evangelist for the church. No pastor or teacher that is not for the church. 
And right now there are many in the world that say, no, I'm an apostle for the marketplace. No, you're not. You're an apostle for the church. Might be part of the manifestation in the marketplace, but it's for the church. It's for the church. And you don't do it without the church. That means we need to cooperate with God in adding to the church those being saved, sharing the good news of Jesus. We need to cooperate with one another and with other people in the church, working together. Not saying, how do I get my way, but how, what's God's way that we can all work together for? It does mean that we need to purify ourselves and we need to repent of our sins because we bring it all in together. Now, we, we've loved to think for a long time, well, the sin that I do in home doesn't affect anybody. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Your sin affects everybody else around you, even though they don't know what your sin is. Your sin affects the body, even though we might never know it. Now, the thing is, you don't have to reveal your sin. You don't have to get up and say, oh, I've done this, 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 and this. You just repent. You just say, God, I'm sorry. I sinned. I did this. I take responsibility. It was wrong. That's confessing it. Now I renounce it. I want to stop doing it. I don't want to keep going. And then you replace it. And God, help me to behave in a godly, honorable, good way. But we have to purify ourselves and repent so that we don't contaminate the church with your sin, with our sin. I try to do that every day because I've seen this. I've seen it in operation in my own life over the years that if I'm struggling in an area of sin, I often get a lot of other people dealing with the same issues. And it's very sobering, very sobering to remember that. Big thing, if we're going to be part of this, is we've got to change our attitude toward the church. Many people have an attitude that's not really reflective of the reality of who we are. We have to understand that we have boldness and access with confidence together to God through faith in Jesus. It means that we have the ability together to approach the throne of God boldly and to make demands like God Stop the war in Ukraine. I can do that without fear of being struck dead by God because of Christ. And we all have that. That's why we pray. That's why we approach God. And it does mean, too, that we must not lose heart over the difficulties we face. Don't lose heart. So it's a struggle. It's going to be a struggle. You know, I say this, we're the bride of Christ, right? But, you know, uh, it, women, I know, never do this. But men probably do, where you, you look in the mirror, you know, and you look at all the blemishes you have. I'm sure you women never do that. I'm sure you never talk about, oh, I think I've gained a little bit here. I don't know about, oh, I'm, I'm a little flappy under there. Uh, I don't, yeah, I know you don't do that. Stop it. Instead of looking at the blemishes, look at the beauty. Instead of looking at what's wrong, start looking at what's right. And don't lose heart over the mess. You know, when kids are small, 
I've learned this, even though we haven't had kids, they make messes. And it's very easy when a kid, you know, is three, four, five, six years old, and they just make another mess, they think, oh, God, please help me, deliver me from this, especially if you're tired, right? You've got to look to see where the kid's going to be when they grow up. And they're going to be amazing if you just persevere with them. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. We are part of God's sovereign purpose right now. And God's favor is upon Chelsea Community Church. God's favor is upon City Temple. God's favor is upon many other churches in our world today. Churches that have not bowed down to some of the things in the world. The favor of God is there and God is doing something incredible in our world. And as for me, I want to be part of it. I don't care if I'm a bit player. I don't care if I sit on the bench. I want to be part of the team that lifts the trophy. I don't care if I'm the center forward or the backup, 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 backup goaltender. I want to be part of the team that God's assembled to do the things that God has determined even before the creation of the world to do in us and through us. A few weeks ago, I was in a meeting with two friends in the URC, United Reformed Church, and, uh, and we were talking about City Temple, we were talking about Chelsea, and one of the friends asked, and, and uh, it was a good, com- good conversation, these guys really are friends, uh, I really do care about them both, uh, don't always agree with them, but I do care about them, and one friend was kind of incredulous when he heard about City Temple being out of its building now for a year, uh, of us being here at Chelsea, and, you know, and he's like, you know, what? You mean everybody, most everybody's come with you? I said, yeah. I said, what keeps you together? And I said, well, you know, we're not living for ourselves. We're not building a building for ourselves. We're not rebuilding Chelsea Community Church for ourselves. We're doing it because it's what God's called us to do. And we're doing it for the next generation. We're doing it with a view to the future that God has. And we're doing it for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. That's why we do these. As the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we have an extraordinary adventure ahead of us. I hope that you'll come along with me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you, we honor you, we worship you, and we adore you. Lord, I pray that you would give us increasing revelation about what you're doing in and through the church in the world today. And I pray that you give us increasing revelation for what we are supposed to be at Chelsea Community Church and we are supposed to be at City Temple as part of your role, your work, this transition to the bride uh, metaphor yet again. Whatever it is you're doing, we want to be part of it. So show us how to be. Show us how to be involved with it. Because we don't want to let others take our place. We want to move forward in your will and in accordance with your ways. And so help us do that for your glory 
your honor, and your praise. We love you and we praise you. We worship you and adore you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd stir up the hearts of each person here. Show them, Lord, if they need to double down in their commitment here to Chelsea, then lead them right now to say, yes, I want to do that, Lord. Lord, if you call them to another church, then lead them right now to say, yes, Lord, I hear where you're calling me. And if they're connected with City Temple, then I pray, Lord, that you lead them just to make that commitment in their heart. Lord, I want to be where you want me to be. I want to be part of City Temple. I want to be part of your kingdom, Lord God. I want to be part of the declaration that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be declared, proclaimed to the principalities and powers and all the authorities and all the rulers and every spiritual being that tries to direct the hearts of people and tries to direct the course of history, that it's through the church that Jesus Christ is being revealed. It's through the church as the bride of Christ that she will join her groom and side by side they will sweep throughout this world bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love everywhere. Give us a glimpse of it, Lord, at least a glimpse, if not a full throttle view. And let us not miss out. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's join in singing some closing songs. Thank you.